Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Manchester United podcast. I'm Rose, as always, Phil Brown, joined with my excellent regular co-host here, James Rhodes from um, United Mopeteers. This is the second one of the year for us. Uh, Tuesday today, normally we do these on a Monday, our schedule's been a wee bit off. Yesterday was Martin Luther King Day, and uh, it's simply impossible to record anything in the house um, while my kids are here. So um, we sensibly decided that wasn't a good day to do it. Uh, uh, James, you've been freezing your balls off out in your beautiful part of the world, haven't you? Yeah, quite literally. It's been a minus ten Fahrenheit here. It's been real cold. We had a we had we get this like once a year. Usually, it's nice, sunny, and and fairly warm even for winter in in Colorado. But no, it's been a it's been cold and yeah, freezing my balls off. I was out at five a.m. this morning in a jacket and boots and no pants, trying to scare away the coyotes that had been driven down in the cold. To coyotes, is that dogs. the code language for something? Are you trying to... <laughs> yeah, let me, let me check out Epstein list one more time. <laughs> yeah, no, but actually, it's, you know, I've, I've had I've had my uh, my pets get into it with them before, and uh, we've got a big German Shepherd that that usually helps, but a little dog, they they like to they like to prowl, and they're, they're looking for food, and, and that's the prime meat at the... At this point in time, so it was a yes. it was a freezing freezing my balls off literally type of morning. Yeah, it sounds like a you problem that we don't have yeah. here in California. <laughs> I was walking my dogs. It's seventy one degree weather. I know, cold. I know. You you yeah. made sure to call me to tell me that yesterday while uh, I was uh, complaining. Yet somehow I still have a suntan, like I live on a submarine. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I know and you got to blame your heritage for that. <laughs> I swear to God. Oh, um, my kids, you know, apart from my oldest, my other ones, they're, you know, half Hispanic, so they all go dark. And, yep. um, it's, um, contrast could not be greater. Um, so, um, uh, but anyway, uh, interesting weekend, of course, uh, before we get into the game, I want to just get a quick thing out of the way. Um, some of you may have been relieved that I was quiet on Sunday, which I was. I watched the United game, but was within a great headspace. I have a bigger, greater message that I want to convey. Um, I found out on Saturday that a childhood friend of mine um, unfortunately took her own life over the weekend. This followed on from about seven, eight months ago. Her son also did the same, which, of course, this is... The legacy of suicide often is that uh, the carnage that it leaves behind and a lot of people never recover for those who survive. This is, of course, got shades of Sinead O'Connor. Um, I don't have anything particularly prescient or profound to say. As most of you know, I'm a mental health um, ambassador for mental health charity and mental health is something that's very, very close to my heart. Um, I'm an advocate, not a perfect advocate. I know that. Um, but... Deep down, I genuinely care how you, how anyone listening to this, how they feel and the difficulties in their life. Um, I know what it's like to go to bed at night hoping you don't wake up. Um, I know what it's like to have hopelessness, anxiety, um, and have negative inner dialogue and, and, and feel like the only thing that provides you with any relief is, you know, suicide. Um, it's hard in those dark moments to know how incredible and how valued you are. Um, and, you know, suicide for a lot of people that do it, they're doing it to, because they believe that the people they're leaving behind are better off without them. You know, it's often called the selfish act, but it's, you know, really the opposite. But if you're struggling, 
one, you're not alone because there's lots of us out there doing the same, living with our, you know, our demons, our, our anxiety. Um, and uh, you're not defective. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, please, please, please get help. Um, there's lots of important services out there that are manned by professionals that know what they're doing that are only too happy to talk to you. I know you don't always want to get help when you're in that situation, but um, I beg you to go and do it. I've been there many, many times. Um, I'm thankfully in a good place right now, but I know I could change tomorrow. Um, there's been many times I've wanted to take my own life and I don't know what the threshold is between doing it and not doing it. I don't want to, I don't want to find that out. So, and I don't want you to find it out either. Every single person that's listening to this is of tremendous value to us and how you, your mental health and your physical health is something that really matters, um, to me and to a lot of people around you. So please, please, please let me reemphasize that I don't want to lose anyone else in 2024 the suicide especially if you're listening to this I'd, my dms are open um there's lots of ways to get in touch with me i'm not the best at responding quickly to dms so please i prefer you went to a professional but if you really do need someone to talk to and i don't get back to you right away just hit me up again i will eventually see it and i'll be happy to reach out and have a chat with you um and, and help you in any way i can uh, so please understand i know this world is cruel right now and it seems like we dehumanize and hate each other so much um it's it, it, i know it's, it seems that way but there are a lot of good people out there so please understand that this is very serious and um going untreated this it never leads to good things so um i really hope you if you're listening to this you're struggling you get help please so um anyway difficult segue into united after that but um <clears throat> it's um we will, this is what we're, we're here to talk about United at the weekend, mate. Um, first of all, uh, what was your take on the game? Yeah, I thought that um, it was fairly typical in a lot of ways of, of what we've seen. There's, you know, a couple of good things to, to talk about perhaps, but um, a lot of the same. I don't think United were very good. I think they gave up goals very cheaply. Um I think it was moments creating, you know, something to uh, to score, but otherwise against what should have been an inferior side that is also dealing with immense injuries. Uh, their best attacker, well, Harry Kane sold in summer without replacement. Mm-hmm. Hume Son over in uh, in Asia for for international uh, tournament as well right now, and yet they still managed to come into Old Trafford and score mm-hmm. two goals. Um, disappointing. It's I, I was very disheartening because I think we played better when we lost 2-0 earlier in the season against them uh, in, the away, in the away game, at least especially the first half of the first 50 minutes or so. I thought actually was one of our better gate performances, and, I, and it seems as though we've gone backwards while they've gone forwards still. Uh, and it's, you know, that is frustrating to, to see, you know, that despite everything, Still can't really say we're a better team than than the mighty Tottenham Hotspurs, can we? James, as you know, you know, one of the things that uh, I like doing this podcast for is we don't always agree on everything. And yep. you know, I don't know if I'm right. I don't, you know, I, don't, I have my opinions, yep. and they're always subject to change based on the information that um, you know I, I I consume. I've been a 
major defender of Eric Ten Hag. Um, I've said in the past that there are so many problems at United that transcend him um, that I can't exclusively attribute to Eric Ten Hag and say this is specifically his fault because so many of the things that we see have gone on for years at United. Um, and it's a bit of, you know, um, in his first season, every time Ten Hag had a problem, he had an answer to it. Even if you look at the games United lost last season, they never they they didn't lose two three in a row. They'd lose then you know we think after they lost to City they went they didn't lose for like another six seven games. Last yeah. game of Villa same, um, and it seemed like every every issue like arose in his first season he had an obvious answer to or solution to. This mm. year that's not been the case. This yeah. season's been a disgrace. I'm sorry. Um, and I'm not saying it's all his fault because, like I said, there's lots of reasons why that's that it's not all his fault. But a couple of things. One, I spoke at length to an individual yesterday who is an ex-Manchester United player. I'm not going to give his name. Um, he's renowned for his exceptional punditry um, and and um, a brilliant brain on football. And we had a long talk about Ten Hag, and it was interesting. Some of the things he said to me, I'll. I'll, I'll repeat some of them but when I was watching the game against Spurs I'm looking at some of the major flaws that to me should be easy to fix one being organised on set pieces <clears throat> if you go into a club that's struggling at the bottom of the league you know the first thing you do is you make them organised like you know don't give up stupid goals set pieces you know it's a dead ball we know it should be standing uh, zone of market's not difficult to work out um but it seems to me that United are so atrocious on set pieces, it's hard to believe. I mean, Romero should have yeah. scored off the with the header. You saw it against Villa, you know, John McGinn, I think it was, you know, standing in front of the keeper, you know, then the second one coming in off a set piece. You've got Onana that looks like um, he's glued to his line, not just on crosses, by the way. You know, when, you know, we've seen players coming on straight through against him, or I think it was Awaniwi against Forest, um, where they broke. I remember a Cardi against him. There's so many times where he just doesn't move off his line. And I don't know if it's trauma from the Wolves game. Um, I can't say, but I'm looking at this going. This these are these are simple things that should be fixed on the training pitch. United don't learn. They concede immediately after they score. I mean, you look at Villa, the big both times they scored, they almost conceded immediately. It spurs away, they play well first half, second half, they concede within four minutes of the restart. This time they play well first half, concede within two minutes of the restart. They're wide open in midfield. Um, I'll 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 bring in here a second. Um I'll tell you what this individual said to me and why they're wide open. Um, and there's just so many flaws where I'm saying Ten Hag should be fixing that on the training pitch pretty quickly, and it's not happening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that is, I think that's the biggest sort of failure overall there is that if teams at the bottom of the league can fix those issues. Mm-hmm. You can't say it's the players, that you don't have the players to defend offset piece as well. It has nothing to do with really the talent of players. I mean, yes, there is a degree of it if you lose the individual battle. But more often than not, you watch those set piece goals, they have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's a free man. Mm -hmm. It's not somebody making a, a huge leap, yep. you know, Ronaldo-esque goal or something like that. It's so, They're confused. They're lost. They don't know what they're doing. 
and someone's running free and they get a, a free chance at goal. It happens over and over and over again. And on the converse side, it never happens for United. They mm -hmm. never have a free man yeah. on a set piece. They, they never get free. They look terrible. They, they do these short ones. I'm not against short set pieces, short corners and things like that. They can work. We're terrible at them. It's just been terrible at all of these things. They, they, they don't work. We we never have offensively the same success that teams have against mm -hmm. us defensively uh, from set pieces. It's been years like this, frankly, and it's not being fixed. And, you know, this happened just uh, clear up one point with people because there's a lot of misunderstanding on this. There's things that happen under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that were like this, where people would start to target specific coaches and things like that. It's not the case. Uh, Eric Ramsey has not been someone who has been just to, to make this very clear, because I don't like to see people get targeted unfairly on these things. Uh, Eric Ramsey is not somebody who's been sitting there coaching the set pieces for the last few years. Yes, yeah, so He's not like just sitting there by himself coaching set pieces. It's yeah, it's everybody, including Ten Hag, who are all working together on this unsuccessfully at the moment. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, but on that point, which is an important point, James, I'm glad you brought yeah. it up on Eric Ramsey. Um, I, 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 I thought his specific title was set piece coach. I mean, originally, he was, and yeah. I think that's where the confusion. And they diluted yeah. that over the years, where he yeah. was brought in from Chelsea as a set piece coach. Then he was changed to coach. Then, um, and I do believe set pieces are in his remit, but he's not exclusively the set piece coach. So, yeah. um, this was, um. You know, I, I was listening to the fantastic talk of the Devils podcast. If you, by the yeah. way, highly recommend it. Um, and they were mentioning the you know uh, ambiguity of what Ramsey actually does. They're so poor at them; it's actually hard to believe. Yeah. And not just from, like you said, from defensive aspect, from an offensive part. It looks like nobody knows what they're doing. And yeah. I was looking at the other night how many goals United have conceded from set pieces, and it's staggering. It's, it's just astonishing. And I'm looking at it and going, this should have been a red flag after two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. And how is it that United don't have any organization? Let me just read a couple of texts I was sharing with an individual yesterday. Um, and like I said, this is someone who knows the football inside out. Uh, let me get uh, so Oh, I didn't know you have to be able to read. <clears throat> Hang on. So it says... Uh, I said, hey, I hope you're well. I haven't spoken to you about what do you think of Ten Hag? Really concerned on United be seem to be conceding the same goals every week. I said, hey, mate, he's the player. Playing a style doesn't have he doesn't have the players for. So it's crazy to me how they can't fix issues that shouldn't be that hard. The zonal marking on set pieces is so poor, they look confused. Onana has no presence. The midfield looks completely unbalanced. Really, really concerning. He says to me, uh, the midfield looks unbalanced because they have far too much ground to cover. The forwards press and the defence drops. So imagine how much ground the midfield have to cover so they're completely exposed. It's impossible. Set pieces is down to a lack of leadership on the pitch. Nobody is taking ownership and organising. That's major criticism of the defence where they should be organising. I remember Christian Erickson being asked about this a while ago. Actually, he also blamed uh, lack of concentration, which is unforgivable. I said yeah. uh, United had. I said it's confusing because United had the best defensive record at home in the league last season. Ten Hag obviously knows how to set a team up properly, but this looks terrible. 
It said to me, the setup and transition is awful. Look at the results against lesser teams. More often when they're asked to dominate possession, they lose. Palace, Bournemouth, West Ham, Forest, prime examples. So um, these are people that know what they're talking about, that know yeah. how to look at a team and know what the flaws are that are well coached, <clears throat> that aren't well coached. And I'm looking at Ten Hag and I'm going, you cannot survive to, for me the rest of the season winning one, losing one. I mean, United have lost more games than they've won this season. And they, they, they I, I, like we said before, there's lots of reasons why, you know, United are unsuccessful. But for Ten Hag, I mean, you look at Xavi at Barcelona. They're considering sacking him. They may have already sacked him. I, I haven't checked. Won the league last season, you know, took mm-hmm. over sacked the, the season after winning the Champions League. Um, you don't get to survive at top clubs with this type yeah. of record. And with some of the major fundamental flaws that I'm seeing on the pitch and going, it's getting harder and harder for me to believe that he is capable of actually turning this around. I agree. And I think that there's a, there's all these flaws like that. And, and the things that are highlighted, it's kind of crazy because everybody can see them. Um, I have a, a guy I brought on my channel a couple of times who's a, uh, He's just a he just does like some basic analysis and things like that. He's he's done some contributions, things like that. But he's really smart. And I talked to a few other people. And it's really funny because he, ahead of the Tottenham game, he was pointing out this exact issue, like that was mentioned in that in that text from that other individual, which is why I thought oh, it's interesting. He said that that person um who's really well qualified to say that was in agreement with this with this guy I was, I was chatting with. And it, and it's interesting. Somebody last night in the, in my Discord sent me a video, uh, tagged me in a video, or or shared a video on one of the channels that um, against Tottenham, showing one of these moments. And the forwards press, and they press like mad. And the defensive line is sixty yards away, mm-hmm. deeper, dropping deeper and deeper. And the midfield is the entire pitch practically. And so they make one pass through and they're just running free towards the goal. And he was specifically talking about how against, for instance, Aston Villa, especially in the second half, the fullbacks came up really high to support the wingers to where they were practically right behind them. So when the wingers press, the fullbacks are all the way up there. Johnny Evans was in the opponent's half, you know, pressing, tackling, all of that. Everybody was in the opponent's half, even out of possession. It was together. It makes it very compact. That's the goal, right? Instead of these massive spaces, and United were able to come back. But we only do it once in a ran. It's random. It's un. It's on. Un- it's disorganized. There's no pattern to it. There's no. There's no continuity where you say, "Well, that's what works. Let's do it every single time and do it successfully." There's no continuity with United. The things that work don't get continued. The things that don't work often do continue. And that I don't understand and I think has to be on the manager because it's the same players. They were able to press two games ago, three games ago. Now they can't. They were able to organize together. Now they can't. They were able to do this together. Now they can't. Something's wrong with with the way that that is being set up. And then, you know, the two biggest factors that I have is, as well that I wanted to, to speak about, or it's, it's one factor but involves two players and I think this is my biggest issue with Ten Hag this season overall is, um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I think football can be pretty simple. It, you play your best players in their best positions and you let them perform. And you get a lot out of that. 
when you have good players. You get a lot. It carries you a long way. And it did a lot of the work last year. You know, I think there was essentially, and we could call it a purple patch. I think we spoke about that. But there was a three-month purple patch where United were very good. And that three-month purple patch very much coincided with incredible performances from Marcus Rashford, Casemiro, and a few other people individually, um, covering, scoring goals, things like that. Rashford has uh, four goal contributions in four games in the last four games. Mm-hmm. Garnacho has, I think, three. Hoyland now has three. Suddenly you're scoring three against Villa, against Wigan, two, I think, again, two against mm-hmm. Tottenham. Three games now, suddenly you're scoring goals. Why? It's not complicated. You did the thing that should have been done all season. You put Marcus Rashford back on the left. You got Anthony as far away from the pitch as possible. And you put Carnacho, Hoyland, and, and Rashford together in a setup that plays to their strengths and let them do the work. It's not perfect. It's still lacking patterns that are unfortunate and surprising. It's still overly reliant on, you know, them kind of creating something out of nothing. Garnacho pressing and making a mistake. I think that was uh, for for one of the goals um, that Rashford finished. Um, you know, some lucky, but that's okay. You make lucky bounces by being aggressive with that three, by being threatening, by all the things that happen. You create your own luck. And um, and suddenly you score, you know, what, seven goals in three games. When you've been scoring less goals than Luton Town this year, prior to this. And it's that simple of putting players where they're supposed to be and where they have successfully carried you in the past. And the other player that is supremely suffering from this is Bruno Fernandes. Being asked to play deeper than Scott McTominay simply to uh, accommodate him crashing the box where he, when's the last time he scored? Two versus Chelsea right to in that game way back in October versus to, to save the game against Brentford. But in between you're getting nothing out of him, nothing. And you're putting Bruno Fernandes out of his best role, his best position in order to do that. And I think this is a case of extreme overthinking um, rather than keeping it simple and, and playing to the strengths of the team that you have. And, and it's a big reason for what was mentioned about how much ground a midfield has to cover, how much space there is in it. You know, it's a lot of weird solutions have been attempted to solve goal scoring problems that have led to other problems rather Mm -hmm. than just doing the simple things. And and that's my biggest problem at the moment. It's one of the issues that Ten Hag has had. It's either been one or the other. He's he's never been able to find a balance. So either you get a Liverpool performance at Anfield where it's defensive, pragmatic, you really don't have anything on the attack. Um or you get reckless abandon up front where you're wide open at the back. There's, you know, United haven't controlled the game all season. Um, Maybe you could say the Crystal Palace 3-0 one, but outside of that, they were good against Chelsea. But if you look at the possession stats, you know, United had, what, 36% possession again at the weekend against Spurs. And that's pretty much been what it's like all season. Even in the Champions League games, I think the only game United shaded possession was Copenhagen at home, and we're talking like 50.1%. Yeah. Um, again, that immediately preceded the death of Sir Bobby Robson, and that a game United needed to win, and they were incapable of dominating possession. 
One of the things about Solskjaer before he bought Bruno Fernandes was United were a poor counter-attacking team because they couldn't dominate possession. Um, <clears throat> so they were one-dimensional. When he bring, brings in Bruno Fernandes, all of a sudden they start dominating possession and they're no longer a one-dimensional team. Ten Hag has United, to me, a one-dimensional team. And the thing is, mm. is that they have so many flaws that any decent team will take advantage of them. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm talking about flaws that shouldn't exist at this level. I mean, that Richarlison goal is a disgrace because there's yeah. so many people that are culpable. And I was looking at how many times you know, <clears throat> missed the season where, you know, it was even, even the Bournemouth game, you know, just embarrassing in, uh, on set pieces, looking yeah. at, you know, the Copenhagen game, you need to give a corner away last minute, you know, didn't give a penalty away. And 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 to me, that's the only game I can say that Onana has uh, been the difference in the game. For me, Onana is a big problem because, you know, people talk about Alex Ferguson and about the fact that um, the FA Cup saved them. But one of the biggest decisions Ferguson had to make was his goalkeeper. Mm. He brought Jim Leighton down from Aberdeen and, you know, they were very, very close and he had to make a massive decision in the FA Cup replay because Leighton had played really poor against Crystal Palace. It was three, you know, you need to do three. He drops him. Jim Leighton never recovers from this and never speaks to Ferguson again, but arguably that decision to bring Leslie Lee in was the difference. Then I think about United keepers after that and how short the leash was. Um, Bosnich, you know, lasted a year because Ferguson didn't think he was good enough. Um, I'm looking at Tim Hard. You know, Tim Hard against Porto has a decent season, drops the ball in the last minute, Porto score, they go through. That was enough for his career to be over. Taibi mm. didn't last long either. You know, he was gone. And, you know, there's been United keepers that have been brought in that just that, that haven't been able to survive because the standard is so high. Um, and then I'm going... Okay, so we have this Onana Bayandir thing. And going, why won't Ten Hag play Bayandir? I mean, why wouldn't you play him against Wigan? Because to me, that sends a really terrible message to Bayandir. Um, and when I look at how Onana played against Spurs at the weekend, I'm still trying to question the um, the, you, you, the logic behind making a mistake. I can understand if he's been exceptional all season. We're like, this is yeah. a game I do with that. And then I was starting to day, but I dig it about Bayandir, and I was told. Ten Hag never wanted Bayern there. This was not his signing. And this is in some way sending a message to the club about why they brought him in. Bayern there is a good keeper. He's a Turkish national team goalkeeper. Yes. You know, his first choice for, for, for an Apache. And, you know, that's the other part I don't understand. Team. Like, I understand you playing on Nana because you bought him, but you, but technically you bought Bayern there too. So if Bayern there comes in and helps you, fine. But the biggest, single biggest reason why United are out of the Champions League is because of Onana. And yeah, Nana could get ten hogs sacked. This is a yeah. big decision. Yeah, it is. And and the thing you mentioned, I think, is on uh, is kind of underneath all of this. You know, uh, obviously, they're, they're, just to kind of tie it all together, we've talked a lot about this point with Eric Ten Hag that I think is probably underlying a lot of the issues because you lose a lot of. Um, not the locker room, but you do lose a lot of trust from people when you don't act objectively. Um, you do. 
you just do when you're in a position of management, anything that can be perceived as playing favorites really doesn't go over well. It, 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 it becomes problematic. And you had Bayandir's agent, I think, in the last break, talk about concerns about this specifically. Like he wasn't, why is he bought to not play and to not get in and not get minutes and things like that? You had a, a goalkeeper that they would have probably preferred, Zion Suzuki, I think was his name we talked about him last time, that um, didn't want to join over the concerns whether he would play at all. I think they wanted Vermeer too from under Yeah, that. yeah, there was that as well. Yeah. Brighton, I think. The thing is, I don't care who you brought in. You're the manager, right? Mm -hmm. This is where this job is so messed up at United and where Ten Hag has had some huge failures because Anthony is a massive failure, massive, massive. Uh, unbelievable. And it's well noted how little he was rated by United's people who were hired to make those decisions. Well, yeah, make sure you remind me to ask you about Anthony before yeah. we skip that subject. Uh, I do absolutely. Want to talk <clears throat> yep. And uh, uh, Onana was certainly a good keeper. Um, I think he's a good keeper. It was good for, for Inter. I, I, I like him. I think I can understand. I've seen him perform well. But you still superseded the names that were on the list in order to go for him, and he's making huge mistakes for yeah. you. That's on you. Um, I bring kind of tied all together because you have the same point, and I wanted to ask you about this. Of you know, of course, this week Jaden Sancho returned to Dortmund on loan, mm. uh, came off the bench immediately for them in their first game, has mm -hmm. a great assist to Marco Royce once again. Uh, it was interesting because I know people said that. You know, it's it's Germany and the spaces. And I, and I do believe that, too, that in Germany you get a lot more. But somebody posted a video of him doing the exact same thing in England for United. Literally the exact same move, the exact same run, and getting the exact same assist um, for United in the Premier League. Um, regardless, you know, this was an issue where obviously it started not to agree with the things that have gone on, not to agree with issues with discipline, these types of things that are unacceptable, but it started on the basis of feelings of favoritism over players, over choices, over things like that, having to do with Anthony and others. That's what's where it started from the player's perspective, where you get an underlying situation that bubbled to the surface and exploded. And then from there, I'm not absolving anybody of making you know, dumb tweets or of being late to training or things like that. That's all fair. But what it kind of runs back to on this is, um, you know, you can, you do live or die by these decisions that you make. If you're going to be making these decisions, if you're going to be making decisions on the keeper, if you're going to be making decisions on signings, you live or die by it. And there's been a lot of dialogue about that recently. Um, and one of the things I wanted to ask you before I forget uh, you know, Marcus Rashford scored and 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 some people made a big deal out of a certain thing that he did about quiet or something like that. And then mm -hmm. he clarified on Twitter because somebody said, no, he's talking about, you know, getting a lot of heat for wishing something nice on Sancho on Instagram or something like that. And he's been getting a lot of abuse for for that in particular. Now, I think it should be under known that there's quite a few players that have interacted with that post from Jaden Sancho. Uh, Jaden Sancho is not a criminal, you know, mm -hmm. uh, he's not a pariah. He's, mm -hmm. uh, just an individual, a young player who is a friend of many of these individuals yeah. should also be noted that Benny McCarthy commented on the post as well, 
I think it's been deleted, but he commented on the post as well with a crown and a heart for Jaden Sancho too, um, who's one of Eric Ten Hag's coaching staff. And um, it's one of those things that I think has be is a totally a non-issue. I don't understand why it's being made an issue of. I wanted to get your opinion on that. We've varied on things with Marcus Rashford, but I think we'd probably be in agreement here. There's nothing wrong with. Yeah, I'll start there. Um, I don't think it's an issue at all. I mean, having a personal relationship, a friendship with someone and wishing them well is completely different to me than saying, I support you over Eric Ten Hag. I mean, yeah. these are two yeah. different things. Look, here's the thing, James, about what Sancho did for me personally. Yeah, It's not even the being late part yeah. that at this point bothers me the most. It's the way he handled it. Yeah. Right? Because human beings are late for work. I'm late yeah. for work. You're late for work. Life happens. Right? Mm -hmm. This is just the way it is. There's no occupation where life doesn't happen. Okay. If it happens sporadically, not a big deal. If it's happening consistently, it is a big thing because that should yeah. be something that's easy to fix, right? Be on time. Yeah. Not a particularly difficult skill to master, right? Um, I don't think Ten Hag handled it perfectly. I don't understand that what the benefit was to come out three, four days after the transfer window had closed and you've got the issue with Anthony mm -hmm. and actually, you know, going public with this. I mean, it's probably the time yeah. to do that. If it's been an ongoing issue, the time to do that would have been a month before. Yeah. I, the other part of this that you and I know is that Sancho had been hit up from Chelsea. Um, yeah. Well, the last two weeks or when though, I think it was, there probably was conversations going on before that and he was keen on the move, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, didn't happen. I don't think Ten Hag was particularly pleased about the way it developed later on. Um, now, if you remember back this summer, there was lots of credible reports you needed to listen to offers for Sancho, which yep. was entirely true. So yep. here's the thing with comes to favourites. Every office in the world has employees that think their boss plays favourites. And sometimes yeah. that's correct, sometimes it isn't, right? Yep. Now, the, the problem for me with Anthony and Sancho is in a similar situation in that if... You know, if Sancho's playing exceptionally well, then I can easily say, you know what? Um, he is playing favorites. I don't want Anthony in the team, right? And I don't understand why he's not playing. Um, but he but he hadn't been playing. I mean, James, I look back at his, his United career and I can't remember a specific time where he's been blistered in form. He's, yeah. This goes beyond Ten Hag. So, yeah, for sure. So, didn't it's been a few years since you've played well? You've lost your place in the England team. Wasn't Ten Hag's fault what happened last season? The club supported yeah. you. It wasn't your fault either. I understand that. But if I felt that he owed a debt of gratitude to the United fans and I felt that you know that have supported him, mm. it matter, <clears throat> what you want about Ten Hag, it doesn't matter. You can hear him, you yep. can think, you know, have no trust in him, dislike him. But the fans deserved a bit better because they stood by you. Yeah. So I yeah. felt that. And this is why when I'm, when it, the, the whole talks about on coming back, this, these are the things that we have to deal with, in my opinion. One, how quickly, you know, he refused to apologise, despite the fact he needed Bruno Mess and the fans deserved Jadon Sancho on the pitch. Two, um, the the thing that he did will not is, isn't conditional upon who the manager is. Whoever Correct, the manager yes. is, you need to be on time. Simple yeah. as that. Right, that yep. doesn't that doesn't disappear. It was a new guy, yep. and so to me, I think these are the issues that 
I mean, Sancho is a good player. There's no question there's a major quality difference between the Premier League and the Bundesliga. Yeah. So you will get, you know, and, and what Sancho did, I know he can't do. I hope he goes there and he plays really well, reinvigorates himself. Yeah. I really do. Um, and I expect with the point to prove being being back somewhere that he appreciates, he probably will. But to me, I still support Ten Hag overall in 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 the in who's between who's right and who's wrong. I just don't think either of them handled it particularly perfectly. Yeah. Um, just on Anthony Hayabert. This was the first time I'd heard Ten Hag show irritation. We are, we are. Mm. And it's not always easy to tell because Ten Hag's English is not perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that gets him into a bit of trouble um, because he probably says things he doesn't mean to say in exactly that way, like that comment about took Casemiro off because he wanted to get more football. Um, you know, Casemiro didn't appreciate that, by the way. I think it was against Brentford. Um, I just think sometimes this is an issue with his language and how he expresses himself. Um, but he turned around and said something. And honestly, I, I, this just looked like my father-in-law. Um, typical Dutch directness about what's going on with that. And he goes, well, he's got off the field problems, you know, and he caused them, so he needs to fix them. And it's like, okay. And I can sense that irritation with him going, do you know what? Um, I've made lots of different excuses. But in some way, in some sense, this was almost the same as what he did with Sancho, that your off-the-field activities are affecting how you play off the on the field. You mm-hmm. need to fix these. Um, and so for me, I was like, you know, I, that was the first time I sensed any type of irritation from a Ten Hag towards Anthony. Yeah, for sure. I, 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 I think so. And I think it's, it's become indefensible, his, his form, his play, missing games, some of which I think when they've said illness or a knock are not illness or a knock, but rather dealing with those off the field issues, you know, that we don't need to get into because there's nothing mm-hmm. for us to, to share or say on that. That's uh, important. But um, I've, suspected that was the case in a few instances and obviously Ten Hag commenting on that in particular I think says that's the case and yeah I mean uh unfortunately that doesn't change the situation for for Anthony or Ten Hag in this which is that uh it's it's been really bad and I think unfortunately as well I think you know and I know from some conversations we've had uh that it was pretty well known that Anthony had off the field issues before mm-hmm. he was signed and that it usually led to problems with his, uh, with his form and his play. And uh, it was one of the concerns raised by people at United that um, was just kind of cast aside. Um, so I, I think it's, it's true and it's unfortunate and um, yeah. And, and, uh, and I don't think that there's a, a good answer for that. Yeah, so on that, uh, James, you know, um, yeah. I was asking Franz Hook about this, and you know, I might have mentioned it last week on the podcast, so forgive me if I did. Um, and I was asking about Anthony, and I was asking about the off the field problems. And he was saying to me, he goes, I honestly believe that if Eric was in his second season, he wouldn't have signed Anthony. He goes, Because the one mm-hmm. of the things you can't prepare someone for is the actual experience of the scrutiny at Manchester United. You can tell them about it, but you really have to 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 to, uh, to um, experience it, to understand it um, in, in a clinical sense. 
And, you know, you heard Ten Hag say the weekend, he, he emphasised this over and over again about how difficult it is to play for United. And it's difficult when things are not going well. When things are going great, it's the easiest club in the world to play for because the praise is off the charts. And, the, the you know, the pendulum swings heavy both ways. But when you're not winning games, the scrutiny is relentless. And <clears throat> it affects people in different ways. Some players can handle that. And some players can't. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel with Anthony, if these are not problems that are going to go away tomorrow. Yeah. So, but Ten Hag needs Anthony to be playing well now, because he's really in an interim position right now. Mm-hmm. Where yes. he has to prove he's good enough to take Manchester. His interview, yeah, he's doing his and, interview. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, James. Ten Hag in a bit of a precarious position because it's it, it's a bit of a catch twenty two situation. He needs all the issues fixed behind him. As they're being fixed, there's a couple of problems. One, the expectation for Ten Hag greatly increases. So he needs whether that's fair or not. You know, we know these playing issues aren't going to get fixed overnight, but there's going to have to be visible improvements, especially with players coming back. Um, and as United are properly run and properly funded, that job becomes very, very attractive to mm-hmm. high-end managers. Yeah. People like Zidane, who Blanc knows, there's a lot of people who will be looking at that United job, they'll be saying, I want to go there. You know, it's well-funded, you know, it's run by football people, and all of a sudden it becomes very, very attractive. Yes. My, to, to, to finish my point on this, if United find out, if we're still in the same situation by end of February, where United are majorly inconsistent, we've seen no significant improvement, and United are thinking we've, we've got to make a change, I would do it right then. I wouldn't wait mm. till the end of the season because United need to be prepared for next season to start that preparation around April, May. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of thoughts on this that I would take. One is that obviously Ineos have to play down and play coy on anything that they might be planning on doing prior to receiving ratification. That's something that I think Jim Ratcliffe mm-hmm. has made extremely clear now where he's talked yes. publicly about 10 times more than the Glazers already uh, yep. in their 20-year history. Uh, he met with the fans. He met with executives. He met with the staff. This is all good stuff to see, communication. Mm-hmm. But he's made clear as well in every conversation they cannot do anything right now. And, and, and it's important, that point, but I think it's also – anything you hear well we don't want to do this now we don't want to do that then we're not going to that's not planned for you can't really take it at face value once the deal is ratified in three or four weeks from now likely i think is what he said um suddenly the picture can become a lot different and suddenly they can do literally whatever they want anything it's written in there they can do whatever they want on this I, you know, and and so, yeah, I think they have been, as we've talked before, planning for those kind of contingencies. If the person they want is available in February or March and they deem that they're going to make a change, probably good to do it then. I think there's a risk if you do it too early. Like, let's say you were to sack, if you had sacked Ten Hag in November Mm -hmm. and you bring in a new manager where you can't fix things mid season. They have six months. It looks bad. They they have a bad season. It it can really set them up for failure, but you bring them in in March or something like that. Nobody's going to blame the season on them. 
nobody is going to pin a single thing that happens because they've, they've only been in the job one or two months. You might get some familiarity with players and you might, it, it's not going to hurt your recruitment and things. So yeah, I think if things don't turn around and they decide they want to change managers, they should do it then if possible. If it's not somebody who's in a job, you know, cause there are obvious potential candidates and names that have been thrown out there that are in a job and they're not going to leave till the end of the year, you know? Yeah. But even, um, even on that, James, I would be okay with them putting someone in on an interim basis. Sure. Because the way the club's going to run, Mick, as we know, yeah. it's not, you know, there's going to be football decisions made by football people outside of the yeah. managers. So they would still know what their recruitment Correct. process is. Correct. And even if yes. it gives you a temporary lift momentum to finish the season strong, you know, Champions League is really important for United commercially um, and for flexibility in how they recruit and how they expand on other 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 areas of the football club. And uh, the brilliant Swedish Rumble, uh, I retweeted one of his recent tweets, which illustrates just how precarious the situation is and how, mm-hmm. how much harder it becomes to start to claw back the big boys um, the longer this goes on. So, you know, fifth, well, I think fifth gets you in the Champions League this year. Um, that's still a very obtainable goal. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. me, I don't think United should allow their season and the potential fifth place finish to go up and smoke. You're not wrong. Yeah. Do the right yeah. thing by Ten Hag. You know, I re- listen, let me say this, and I've said this many, many times. Personally, I would prefer he, you know, he was successful. And that we didn't have to have this conversation, but success to me looks like an exciting attacking United team that can, you know, that that aren't just finishing top four, that are winning, that are competitive for major trophies. You don't have to win them every year, but we're looking at a United team that starts the season with a realistic chance of competing in the Champions League, yeah. winning the Premier League. And if you fall short, you know, if your goal is to win the league and you fall short, you finish second or third. If your goal finishes in top four and you and you fall short, you're finishing sixth and seventh. This is. But part of the problem is the the, the focus yep. has to be on we have to get a team that is capable of winning the league. And yep. so, you know, that to me is what success looks like with him. Yeah, for sure. I would agree. And 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 I, I, I do agree. If there's a way to salvage it to get Champions League, it would be important. And, and I do want to say with some certainty, as far as I know, that I believe, I, I don't know how it'll look publicly, but I strongly believe they're going to make that decision regarding the manager for next year in March or even potentially sooner, but that it's not, it's not going to be a wait till the end of May to see what happens, whatever that decision is. If it's 10 hog, if it's a, they have somebody in mind and they're going to hire them when the changes occur, if there's a change, I don't know, but, but I'm, I'm sure that they're going to make that decision um, in March because from everything I've heard, they want to have, these plans really, really strongly lined up. And um, and that includes, of course, the transfers as well. And, and I think it's important to touch on that. There's a few things that I want to mention that I've been told in the last couple of days and weeks that have been kind of building. Um, number one, it's, it's interesting. I was told there'd be a good focus on outs, um, especially for FFP room and things like that. And you're seeing a lot of younger players who have not been getting minutes getting their moves that include options and potentially buybacks. Uh, Alvaro Fernandez, uh, Hannibal Meshbury, these are players that have not been getting great development where United could potentially be seeing 8, 10, 12 million in profit, which is a huge, huge. Uh, it's, it's the reason Chelsea can keep spending money like crazy because they've always been so good at selling academy products like that. Um, and it includes buybacks. 
most likely in, in these cases that allows you to bring them back for a not exorbitant fee if they turn into this great player. If the options are taken up by the teams that they're passing them to. So I think that that's been a good sign. I think there's a good chance Palistri will go out. Um, there's some talk. There's a little confusion on this, but there's some talk of, of Ahmad potentially going to Middlesbrough uh, as well. You feel like United might be a little bit short if they do all of that. But at the same time, it's not like these players have been doing much as of yet. You have a lot more players expected to return potential solutions. So it's a balance of long term. It's probably better to get these players out, get them playing, get potential options in place if you're not sure if they're going to be first teams, but have routes to bring them back. Um, I think that's forward thinking. And I think that does involve Ineos' input, at least prior, not as owners, but prior when they were given that transfer plan to say, hey, this is what we think about this. This is our opinions on all of this. And those decisions are currently still being made by by the other people, but they're not changing. Um, and the same thing with, with Jaden Sancho, for example. I think the loan move is a, is a huge win-win for mm-hmm. United in, in any way, shape, or, or form. And, and Sancho, too, to be fair, for his career. He goes and he does really well at Dortmund, It's let's say, right? And I think he probably will. Uh, just the, the comfort, the mental aspect, the, the league, the familiarity, he's already started off well. Then you have your choice of player can return Maybe if things are resolved, if things are perfect, things are working and you think you can handle it and you have an asset or you can sell them, you can sell them and you can get big wages off the books and a good fee for a player um, in there. And it it gives you a lot of room. I think it's most likely at this point in time that he will be sold come summer. Uh, I think that is more the line of thinking at the moment is the more likely way it'll go. Yeah, some of the issues that have been mentioned, you know, like you said, are regardless of manager, but there's also the aspect from the player side. Um, it's hard to remove the distrust between a club and a player just by changing a, a manager or changing staff. It doesn't always resolve like that. And sometimes the situation just isn't what you want it to be. Um, you know, going back to this is one of the areas they should have been more decisive in summer. If he was made available, then they should have sold him and not created, this is part of where they fail, where they create these situations ahead of time, um, where a player is like, well, I'm kind of for sale, but, and people are talking to me, but I'm not sold, but I'm not playing. What's the point? And and it creates these problems as well. And, and they should have just sold him. I'm okay with that. They should have sold him. If they were thinking about it, they should have just figured out a way to do it. And that's where I hope, you know, under Ineos, it'll be more decisive come summer. Speaking of that, which I think is important, these are two things I, I want to talk about. One is that I, I'm made aware of that United have been looking at right wingers and people to potentially replace Anthony. I don't know if they're going to be able to sell him, but I don't think that there's any view that he's going to be the guy for the future. And they're looking at replacements already, which is a pretty bad indictment of the signing when you spent $85 million and you're looking for a replacement in two years. Um, they've been looking at names we've discussed in the past, some of those um, – there's going to be a lot more, and I think come March, February, I have a lot of those names. But the other area I want to talk about in particular, because it relates to, to all of it, is the, the centre-back situation. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a huge overhaul here. I think you could p- very much potentially see, of course, Johnny Evans, I think there's an option, but it's going to be a bit up to him, um, what he wants to do and, and, and as well. Uh, Lindelof is on a short extension. 
Uh, Rafael Varane will probably leave. I don't think he's pretty. I don't think he's quite happy at United at the moment. Um, Harry Maguire probably will still want to go uh, somewhere where he can be and, and fair to him and to, to United. He's had a pretty good season. I think he could fetch a decent fee at this point and go to a, a decent club for him as well. And these are all good things where then United are looking to replace him. Um, and, and, and a big name I want to talk about is Jared Brainthwaite from, from Everton. He's really, really highly rated. Everton have this huge problem because of the sanctions and, uh, you know, not the sanctions, you know, the league sanctions mm-hmm. is what I mean by that, um, for rulings on FFP, on financial breaches and all that. More points deductions, more penalties. They're, I think, taking loans out to pay wages and things like that at the moment. They're in trouble, uh, and the whole new owner coming in is like a mess. They're in a lot of trouble, and they're very likely going to have to sell off some major assets, including someone like Jared Brainthwaite, uh, Amadou Onana, we talked about not as a center back, but in the midfield. But Brainthwaite is definitely one I keep an eye on. Really highly rated player, someone who I think a lot of people really like. And, um, you know, uh, I think it, it's it would be great getting a player from close, you know, who's playing close by to Manchester, who's young, who's up and coming, who's a great performer in the Premier League and uh, and making that uh, that switch over um, would be a would be, be a good thing. In Holland. Well. <laughs> I think it would be a yeah. PSV for a year. Yeah, he played for PSV, so we can't escape that. But I promise you, it has nothing to do with that. Um, it has nothing to do with that. He's been yeah. uh, he's been really good for Everton. So I think that's a that's a good one. I'd like to see United make purchases like that. I'm not saying Brentwood is a complete product, but I think that let's stop cheating a little bit this summer. Is my hope too. Let's let's get good players who are solid. Uh, I hope that Enios do lean a little bit more on Premier League experience mm. just to make the transition easier for players to, to come into the team as well. It's going to be interesting because we, we look at Enios. To me, their influence, you know, I know technically Ratcliffe has to say the right things, you know, to the media, but they can't exert influence until this is ratified and all this. I mind you, when you see what the uh, Newcastle uh chairman is it is going through right now um <laughs> it's uh it's hard to believe anyone could feel these uh tests but anyway. i'm happy we're not owned by a state i will say <clears throat> yes no listen i'm happy we're not owned by any despot mm-hmm. by any any yeah. any individual and and jim radcliffe's no no uh angel um there's plenty of places where he can be legitimately yeah. criticized i have no no problem with that whatsoever um i just don't want united specifically owned by someone that um, you know has an undeniable you know human rights record, appalling human rights record, stuff like that. Um, you know, it doesn't matter where these individuals are from. I just don't think that's the correct ownership model for Manchester United. Um, you know, so I, I but <clears throat> in that sense, you know, I, I also completely understand where a lot of people feel that's hypocritical. So you know, it's I, I get it. Um, but with Ratcliffe, um, you know, like you said earlier, it was encouraging that he had met with fans already. That it's you know, it's not hard to be better than the Glazers, but um, very, very encouraging that uh, he has made commitments to uh, communicate with fans. And uh, that's Jimmy Knight. Um, <laughs> giving you your you're calling uh, up yeah, to tell you that the check's going to be a little late because he's got. Yeah, I was with PR. 
right. <laughs> I told, I told my not to call me one of my what. All right, but um, no, but I think it's great that um, you know, he understands that you know, there's a lot of examples of what went wrong. Uh, that are easy to fix. You know, the test, of course, will come as this progresses and criticism will inevitably come. Um, like you were saying, he had a meeting with staff, which the staff were very, very optimistic about. Brailsford's in there um, forensically analyzing things, which will be making a lot of people internally very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Understandably. Um, some people, there's a lot of very good people at United, like we've said before, um, but United her are not an institution that's been set up for um you know for for excellence or you know for efficiency it's um it's going to take a lot of recalibrating the other thing that I don't particularly have any concerns about is the fact that Brailsford doesn't have a background in football I think what we need to understand is one this is football you know, this is not uh, theoretical physics. You know, this is, you know, yeah. we're not trying to get into unified field theory. I, I'm even skeptical that such a thing as a football expert exists. Um, yeah. So I think, um, you know, getting a really good football team on the pitch is, you know, is not um, overly complex. And the integration <clears throat> of data um, is very, very important. Um, knowing yeah. what data infers, knowing how to read it and how to get optimal performance from an athlete requires you to have expertise in many different fields. So it's all about how you use that data. If we're saying Brailsford's going to pick the next team and the ta- tactics, no, I, then I would have concerns. But mm-hmm. I'm not concerned he doesn't have yeah, a background I don't think that's an issue. in football. And nonetheless, he does have some shady stuff in his background, which is fair enough, criticism. Um, you know, don't uh, listen. Liverpool, you know, half their team has asthma, they're on these inhalers. I'm okay with a little bit of sudden, you know, asthma diagnosis team wide, and and yeah, they can keep up the press for 90 minutes. It's okay with me. um, You know, look, you know, there's if they're doing things within you know the acceptable parameters of um bend not break certain rules yeah. then okay with it you know as long as it's with in line with what everyone else is doing um yeah, I, exactly. I, and yeah so but anyway <laughs> uh, to me it's obvious you can see an ineos influence already because i've never seen united move this expeditiously even with players going out ever yeah right? i mean yep. sheer, sheer number of players players that let's be honest in any other window, you wouldn't disagree with leaving. Like, Van der Beek had to go, right? No mm-hmm. question. We all wanted him to work. Didn't work. Um, you know, Mejbury, to me, um, talented young player, but he's at a point now where either you, you're yeah. obviously good enough or you need to go. Right. Yeah, this these are these are the points where players like him will will usually stall out at United, yeah, exactly. not really get enough minutes, not develop, and then you're like always wondering, and they just nothing happens so yeah, it's so a good move get, it's a good move just Pereira situation you know yeah so he's going on loan to 23 24 and you're trying this has got to go now right yeah. um yeah. you know regulon had no problems with united um canceling that loan <laughs> game um yeah. i wouldn't even be a hundred percent against if united terminated the um amrabat loan deal because yeah. i don't think <laughs> it's pivotal uh, especially yeah. with the emergence of kavi minor I just yeah. don't see why. I mean, clearly they're not going to make that deal permanent, right? Nope. Obviously not. Um, and I'm not criticizing uh, 
and, and, and the, the player because obviously some of it's not not all his fault. Amrabat came in, you know, injured, thrown in at left back, mismatch, and, we, and what we talked earlier about how exposed the midfield are. So, yeah. um, and then there's the other deals, you know, the Avaro Fernandez, of course, where they're going to sell him loan to buy with Benfica, um, which, you know, I would have preferred to see him stay, but um, I don't think Ten Hag rated him that much. Yeah. Um, the other one that's going to be really interesting at the end of the season for me is going to be Mason Greenwood. And um, I don't want to get into too much. Obviously, it's a complex subject for, you know, people have different emotions on it. Um, but I just wonder what how that's going to get handled at the end of the season um, and, and whether there is a, I'm not pleased to say this. I'm floating a hypothetical. I'm not. No, yeah. I'm, I'm not recommending this. Whether United may feel at the end of the season that this is issues sufficiently progressed to the point where he can be brought back, or do they sell him? Um, you know, I, I I don't know. It's going to be really interesting because even if you sell him, James, and you profit off it, you know, is that morally and ethically any worse than bringing him back and playing? So to me, I think. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how that gets handled at the end of the season. Um, and just you know, on that, I would, I strongly suspect he'll be brought, he'll be, uh, he'll be sold, he'll, you know, at the end of his, not, I say brought back because at the end of the loan to his current club, uh, who will be brought back and then sold there, there are major Spanish clubs with interest in him because he's performing well in La Liga. Uh, and they're seeing him on a weekly basis. They see his talent. They're, they're not, they're a little less scrupulous about these kind of things in, in other leagues, which is fine. They're not actually casting a judgment on them. It's all how, well, I how think they decide. It would be exactly the same. English clubs would be the same. It's just the, the media reaction is a bit different. Yeah, when it's pretty much. Yeah, it is media. I mean, the, the media don't care as much about it. They don't cover it in the same way. And so it is what it is. If he goes to, you know, Barcelona, Atletico or Madrid, who are all having some interest in him, I don't think it's going to be a problem for them with the media. Uh, I think they have better relations with the media in general too, and more maybe more tied relations, I should say, between the media and the teams there. I think that's the most likely thing, and I, but I don't think that there will be much dismay at using the funds sold for the purposes of rebuilding the team. Uh, I, think uh, I think that's what's likely going to happen. Yeah. Another go one going to go out on loan. Yeah, um, to Granada, it sounds the, like. The, they were going to send him in on loan at the end of uh, August. Um, yeah, of course, yeah. with Anthony, everything else, um, injuries to Ahmad, um, they decided not to. With to me, the, you can't send Ahmad and Palestri out on loan. Mm, to me, yeah. of, of the two, Ahmad looks a better player to me than Palestri. Um, yeah. It's funny because you know I speak to United fans who think Palestri is magnificent, and I speak to some of them that don't read. I think he's limited. And I think that for Palestri, part of the problem is he he's a right winger playing on the right in a system that doesn't really accommodate that type of player. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think for him, he's also at that point where Mesbury's at, where like if you're not playing regularly now, you gotta go. You know, and this is where yeah. you need to have to be better. So um, yeah. I'm not against get um, um, Palestri being sold. And but on the bigger point, James. With all these players going, um, obviously a lot of this, this is players that need to go anyway, but um, does this give you the indication that United are gearing up for a big recruitment drive in the summer? Yeah, I do. I, I think it's going to be quite big, and and I think that that is kind of the point. They're, they're looking at, you know, 
uh, as much space funds and, and an overhaul as possible. I, I, I think that I'm going to use a word you hate again because it, it just crashed. OJ project. The new project that they're putting in place now. <laughs> but realistically, you're, if you're going to appoint new directors of football, they're going to have an idea in mind for what they want to build. And some of it's going to be utilizing what you have and some of it isn't. And I think they're going to really want and put in place a team with an identity. And United has been such a mishmash of different ideas and philosophies. You need a lot of players to do it. And you need a lot of the right people to do it as well. Um, and you need good players. You can't just buy 10 mediocre players who fit at United. You don't have the, you know, you could do that at Wolves or somewhere like that to say, okay, we really want to play this way because it's going to keep us up. It's going to keep us in the Premier League. It's going to keep mm -hmm. us here, and then we can build on it. You can't really do that United, so you're not going to buy 10. You need to buy four or five probably really quite good players. Not necessarily all the finished products, but good players that fit a certain direction, philosophy, and concept. And I think that that's what they're gearing up for, and I think that because Champions League is not a guarantee, they need to make as much space as possible financially. And so... Martial wages, Ferran wages, Maguire wages, Sancho wages, you know, selling youth players up, they could free off a lot of money to where, I mean, I quite literally, uh, not to put giant expectations on it, but quite literally, they could spend 300 million, you know, on, on players in the summer, um, you know, viably from a, from a limitations perspective, they could. And I would, I would like to see it. I think that if they're going to appoint new directors like Ashworth, Mitchell, these type of guys, uh, if if they're going to end up with a new manager, I think that's going to be what's what you what has to happen to take any sort of step forward in the next season and, and see some real progress. Okay. So yeah, I think that's the plan. <laughs> uh, let me ask you uh, quickly on Eric Hag, because I know we did talk yeah. about him a little bit earlier. Um, when people buy football clubs, they very rarely stay with the manager that's in place because, like you said, they have their own ideas. I think the right thing yes. for them to do is to give Ten Hag the opportunity. Uh, you know, but if you look at when you know, I think Mark Hughes stayed in the job for a year after the city got rid of him. Um, you know, uh, FSG brought Clap in after a few months. Um, <clears throat> so for me, um, what does Eric Ten Hag, or for you, what does Eric Ten Hag have to do between now and the end of the season to keep his job? It's a really hard question because there's ideological problems. Mm -hmm. And I think that regardless of what happens on the pitch, that is supersedes it. He has to accept that he is not going to have the same role he had before. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's written into your contract because that's how you lose your contract is if you won't accept those changes. So that number one accept those ideological differences and accept the changes that are coming because they are coming. And the word ruthless has been said many times when it comes to this Ineos thing privately uh, and in discussions with people, even must, uh, you know, said that, that Jim Ratcliffe brought up that word ruthless. Um, you have to accept it. it. It's, it is my way or the highway with these types of people. They don't, you don't become, you know, when you're talking about really successful business people, which they are, it is my way or the highway. You cannot argue it. These people are worth 50 times the value of Manchester United, frankly. Uh, that's the truth of it. And so that's one thing. Second is the performances obviously have to improve dramatically, but not eventually now. 
the next six weeks. You've got to start racking up points. You've got to progress in the FA Cup and probably win the trophy and get into the Champions League. I I think that's about what it would take at this point because finishing finishing a little bit better isn't going to absolve you of what's happened so far. So it's got to be a really good finish on the pitch. And I think that's that's what would have to happen. Yeah, for me, same. Um, I would have to see uh, clear evidence that the problems that, you know, United have experienced this year are being eliminated as players come back. There's obvious improvement. Um, yeah. You know, United are controlling games. There's no reason why they shouldn't be controlling certain games. I think some of the biggest indictments against Ten Hag is the fact that someone like, you know, Deserby, Iriola, um, you know, Postus Ugly, all have been in a job less. Uh, yeah. and, you know, Brighton have had an exorbitant amount of injuries. Spurs have had a lot of injuries too. Uh, even Unai Emery, you yeah, know, yeah. they all look to be making much greater progress than what Ten Hag has make, made. And I need to see another team that's learning from their mistakes where we're not repeating the same mistakes. We're not conceding the same outrageous goals. Um, And lastly, because one thing that he's never really accomplished is he's never really got United scoring goals. You know, Marcus Rashford was obviously the the guy that carried us last season. I remember we did a podcast and we said, for United to challenge this season, they're going to have to get goals from players outside of of Rashford. It's good to see Haaland starting to score with some consistency, but he's never really got United scoring goals. And it's not hard to see why. This is why I think even if we got a striker in January, would it really improve that much? Because they would have exactly the same problem. They wouldn't yeah. get the service. So lastly on that, uh, do you feel that you know, we'll bring any players in in January? I, on, I, 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 when we did the podcast, I think in December, and when we did it last week, I said I really wasn't sure. It's the 16th. I don't really see any progress. They're not going to go for Kareem Benzema. That's was sort of an odd rumor floating around. Um, they didn't go for Werner. Went to Spurs, played against us already. I can't see him disappointed in that. <laughs> I can't either. It was funny watching him miss chances, and mm. when we were talking just about how I don't see how he yeah. solves our goal scoring problem. But uh, is there anybody that changes the game for United, or is I it think... just an exercise in you know trying? I guess for the sake of trying. Yeah. So you know, this is the point: is that you know, you, Mason Mount still is. Someone that looks like you know, I mean, it hasn't had he's been signed and he's had zero impact this yeah, January, yeah. so you've got him to come back, right? Which should be back in the team. You've got Casemiro to come back, you've got uh, obviously Lissandro Martinez, which was great to see him back on the field. Uh, Malasia should be back really soon, and it's so to me, I'm like. Let's just see what Ten Hag does with what he's got right now. I don't see another emergency loan really impacting United season that much yeah. at this point. Um, if you could get to me an experienced striker that would help out Hoyland, um, okay, you know, like if a Benzema would be okay with that, um, you know, to, to, for a six-month deal or something like that. Um, but outside of that, I mean, are you never going to sign a better right winger? Are they going to sign a better left winger? Are they going to sign a better midfielder than the options and they have? Better defenders, you know, goalkeepers? I don't really see an obvious position that no. stands out to me. It says, you need to get a loan signing in right now. Um, yeah, agreed. I do think, you know, they're, you know the, the, the way they're trimming the squad is quite interesting. Um, you know, so it looks to me um, like they are 
you know, trying to prepare for having the flexibility to recruit this summer and to do yeah. that early. And I think we're we're going to have to see um, Ineos uh, and 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 make it a, such an obvious difference is the way you need to go about signings. Is that if we get dragged into sagas this summer, you're, it's going to be really disappointing because these are the Agreed. reasons why. You know, be decisive, to defend who you want, go sign these players. Um, and um, I think that's going to be really interesting because you know by mid February gives them a couple of months to really uh get to work. And uh, you know, people talking about Xerxes and stuff, none of those players will come to United based solely because Ten Hag wants them anymore. Don't that's not going to happen, so it can't be a Ten Hag saying. And if United saying Xerxes, it'll be because he has been identified by the club. But to me, James, you know, he's got. Uh, seven goals this season. Um, I might have to have that right to assess 40 million release clause. That's not the player to me that's going to make a fundamental. Yeah, difference. another young project yeah. on top mm-hmm. of Hoyland, who's already a young project who I think will come good. It's not exactly the doesn't totally make sense to me in that respect either. Yes, yeah, so I, I, um, yeah, so we will see what happens. All right, uh, lots to be to talk about. Of course, no game this weekend, and then. A, B, Newport or Eastley at the FA Cup. Uh, we should see a number of players returning for that game. If something significant happens in between times, we'll record a podcast. Um, or maybe we'll just babble on one anyway, since uh, <laughs> James misses hearing my voice so yeah, much. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, uh, we will see what happens, folks. So thanks to all of you for downloading the podcast as usual. Thanks for all your support, downloads, retweets, your follows, everything else. Um, very, very much appreciated. And big thanks to my colleague here, James. Um, if any transfer stuff comes up, we'll obviously we'll we'll, we'll do some more uh, yeah, podcasts. Sure. And um, you know, we'll try to get some of these people that I've been talking about on my text messages to come and chat with us on the board. So we'll see. Okay. All right. See you later, Matt. All right, brother. See you later. Thank you. Bye.